TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up soon after we record this episode next week, and I'm making a big dinner, but I wanted to make sure you enjoyed it. I was just wondering what your favorite food is. Oh, Chris, I mean, you know, there are just so many, and I'll pretty much eat anything you put in front of me. So, I mean, you know, I like turkey or ham or maybe some green bean casserole or a nice, you know, croissant roll or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I like pan fried catfish. And so, I mean, I guess I could go on, but I think we probably got a whole show to do. So, yeah, I think so. I mean, I was thinking like maybe some scrambled eggs and pancakes. Ooh, absolutely. Some crispy bacon yeah. you know with uh some coffee oh fantastic yeah. yeah you i mean in fact you know if you really want to make it special you could make them pumpkin pancakes so <laughs> well there you go yeah well you know hoshi's got a hot plate in her quarters so i think we can get her to cook some of this stuff up let's do it and uh, we can all join in have just like you know fun cooking together I mean, that and, sounds uh, great to me yeah you know just friendly cooking that's all Okay, well, there's a little long intro to what may be the A plot to the episode that we're going to talk about today as we continue our Enterprise 20th Anniversary Rewatch, and that's Silent Enemy. And here's a quick rundown of the episode. When the Enterprise encounters an alien ship, Archer once again gets excited about a chance to tell some aliens that he's from Earth. But it turns out that these aliens truly are alien and the crew of the NX-01 find themselves in danger from a threat that has no interest in interacting in the usual way. This leads Archer to realize that the Enterprise is not equipped to deal with the realities of deep space exploration. Also weighing heavily on his mind is Malcolm's birthday, and he sends Hoshi on a top-priority mission to discover the Armory officer's favorite food. So, Matthew, before we jump into the first real topic here, would, do you think that the search for pineapple is the A plot of this story? <laughs> the search for pineapple. You know, that yeah. that is, uh, it's it's a really important plot, Chris, and, and one that I think is probably the most, it is m- the most important uh, here. So, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people, and I've heard a ton of people, honestly, just make fun of this idea, but I, I think... This is something that that really struck me, like the whole idea of trying to get to know the people that you work with and you spend all of this time with. And, you know, Archer obviously is a captain who believes that he should know the people in his command and he should know all of them, especially the officers and have a rapport with them. And part of that is by having meals together and spending time together and all that kind of stuff. So I always took this in the episode was giving us an insight, not just to the fact that, you know, we're trying to find out that pineapple is, you know, Malcolm's favorite food, but this is Archer being interested in his crew and trying to make them feel as at home as possible on this ship with 81 other humans, uh, a Vulcan and a Denobulan, you know, right? You you want this to 
um, again, I feel like in many ways you want this to feel like home. And so to me, that's really something I think that works really well for the episode. Uh, the fact that Archer is thinking about this and caring about this. So I yeah, I actually right. really enjoy this. Yeah, we talked about this uh, a couple of episodes ago. I don't remember which one now when we talked about movie night and trying to build that camaraderie among the crew because your family, it's a small ship. And yeah, this to me is a case where Archer understands the dynamics of the environment and that he has a small crew and that people are maybe a bit uneasy because they're out there in deep space for the first time. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, he is trying to not be a father. Like sometimes when when we look at Voyager, we think of Janeway as being a mother to the crew at times. And I don't see Archer so much as trying to be a father to the crew here, but he is someone who in a corporate environment would be considered a good boss, a good mm-hmm. leader, because he is remembering that the personal things matter as well as yeah. the job. Yep. And that's well, what makes in- sense there. I think people often don't like this episode because mm-hmm. they think that it's silly to have Hoshi spending her time mm-hmm. trying to find out what Malcolm's favorite food is. And even she makes the comment at the beginning is, you know, I'm sure. running a diagnostic here. I got right. work to do, but that's probably the biggest issue that people have with it. Well, and I mean, I, I get that part that it does seem a little bit silly, but I mean, you know, I, yes, she is running a diagnostic, right? Okay. But at the same time, obviously she does have plenty of time to do this, you know, and, and like we mentioned, there's a lot of downtime in this 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 series more so than many of the other crews because of the, what they're going through and of course too it helps that both of the amplifiers are <laughs> destroyed so she doesn't have any other diagnosis to run so she gets to focus on this yeah. one mission so i guess i i get people thinking it's silly but at the same time this is this is more about i think archer and his connection with his crew and I do think that, like you mentioned, the idea of of like a, maybe in a corporate setting, him just being a good boss, and yeah, I do think it is about him trying to be quote unquote a good boss. But at the same time, I do think he wants to know these people more personally and to be a little bit closer to them, and, and almost in the sense of like, if there's any captain who could be like a friend. I mm-hmm. think Archer might be the closest other than I think the only other captain I feel like that really makes this uh, attempt with especially the people in his command crew is Cisco with the dinners he'd have uh, at yeah. his house, uh, you know, at right. their at their quarters and stuff like that, you know, but Picard wasn't doing this and, and Kirk had his closest just the, the triumphant. But mm-hmm. here again, I, I think you see he was spending time with uh Travis and and now this with this week his his focus is to try and find out more about Malcolm. So, I, you know, I just I think it it to me it really does it works. And is it the strongest storyline ever? No, but I do think again this this series is about taking things slower. And I think in the it faces the reality that life is a little bit slower for them even though they're out here in the unknown. Yeah. You know, they're not running into an alien like this every week. 
right. just happened to be these few days, you know? So I, I mean, I just, again, this, this storyline works for me. We'll also think on the next generation, there's Captain Picard Day. We've seen them do things for Worf's birthday. There's all sorts of things like this that go on. They're just not part of the episode as we're watching mm-hmm. it. And then here we, we get to see it. So it's not that unusual in that sense either. But but it's fun. And then so the search for pineapple itself is also interesting because we get to meet Malcolm's parents. And one thing that I also want to talk about, we're going to kind of go out of order on our outline here because we already started in the middle, is what we learn or don't learn about Malcolm's character through this episode, because it ultimately is a Malcolm episode, even though he's not in the traditional leading role of the story, the way that we would think of for an episode that Mm -hmm. focuses so much on a particular character. But we get to meet his parents. And that told me a little bit about maybe why he's the kind of person that he is like very, he keeps things close to his vest. He's very, he's not very outgoing. He's very easy to work with. I feel like, like he really seems to, to try to not cause any trouble. That's why he'll eat anything that's put in front of him, for example. But what did you think about his mother's attitude, his father's attitude and what this story did for his character development well i mean this might be the stiffest upper lip uh when you get that you know british sensibility like oh my goodness um they uh, his father specifically is is you know uncrackable uh as a person and it seems quite annoyed that malcolm joined starfleet uh, yeah of course which is yeah how terrible that he wasn't in the navy he's in (laughs) starfleet you know ocean's not big enough for him uh no it's not you know who would want to be in the navy when you got starfleet but that i mean you're absolutely right in the sense that i think that this immediately helps you see who malcolm is as a character you get the sense that his father is a very demanding person and a very exacting person. And his mother is one who's also kind of willing to just please. And I think Malcolm gets both of those things from his parents. Mm-hmm. He's a very demanding person when it comes to his job and himself and how he conducts himself. But at the same time, he's also a people pleaser and he wants people to like him, but he doesn't really know how to necessarily interact. So, I mean, it's a it's a fascinating dynamic um, and I think it, it creates a, a really interesting thing for us to then kind of watch as we develop this character about how he does develop, you know, because I think one of the things I did notice about this episode was this is the episode that before we get to Shuttle Pod 1, this is the first episode where Malcolm and Trip kind of have a back and forth of like argument together. But uh, then right. also mm-hmm. come to an understanding about one another that will then further that relationship as, as we move forward. So this is really kind of, I would say, the foundation episode for them being uh, characters that get closer uh, as the series mm-hmm. goes on. So that, I mean, all of those things together, I think it made it for a really interesting look at a character that so far, like you have mentioned, it's kind of been just a little bit of an enigma and it really been yeah. almost like a wallflower. Like he, he hadn't really done much at all yeah. other than I guess the, the only thing I think of is the first episode, you know, where you can tell he's a ladies man because, you know, 
he wants to hang out with the twins uh, at Rigel 10. So <laughs> Right. Well, and apparently also here, you know, he, he had that restaurant that he wanted to go to just because he had a thing for the waitress, according to his friend and a little bit of Hoshi's research. Yes, yes. And, and we'll figure that out later, too, when uh, apparently he felt the same way about uh, Ruby. You know, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. definitely, well, that, and definitely that's something that man. he and Trip have in common, no doubt. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I did notice that his mother seemed her reaction to his father was kind of like, oh, "There goes Stuart again. I'm going to sit here and smile." So, so the captain has a good impression of us. I got that a little bit. Uh, the other thing I would notice. Another observation I made about his character, though, is that learning that he comes from a long line of of family members who were in the Royal Navy, Malcolm has very much a sense of duty Mm -hmm. compared with the other characters. It's a different... I think all the characters have a sense of duty, of course, they're in Starfleet. I always feel weird calling it Starfleet here because it's a different Starfleet than the one that we get later with the Federation. (laughs) But but it is still they do use the term Starfleet in the series. So, but but there's something about Malcolm that there's like this uh, this uh, attitude that you would expect from people who have been through training and have more of a, a military hierarchical background to them. And I think that Dominic Keating plays that quite well mm-hmm. in the series. Okay, well, let's go back to the top of our outline and talk about the truly alien aspect of the episode. Because in Star Trek, most of the aliens we meet aren't truly alien. There are those rare cases like the Horda or the Tholians, something like that. But usually, they're very much like humans with bumps on their heads, as we talked about last time. So that the writers can talk about some aspect of society without ruffling everyone's feathers because they took it head on, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what science fiction is all about. But in this episode, we really get truly alien aliens, and we, we don't really learn anything about what they want at all. How did this work for you? Yeah, I thought that this was kind of fascinating and quite scary. The fact that, you know, these aliens, their whole goal here in the end, we learn it really was to take over uh, the Enterprise. and Which is a ha- very simplistic goal. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. But that they had completely malicious intent. And, and I think that's something that we just don't see very often in Star Trek, where mm-hmm. uh, the aliens are presented as not, they're not being a view, their view. And... I liked that that was the case. Like we, we weren't trying to quote unquote humanize them or try to really, uh, you know, Archer and his crew do everything that they can here to try and understand these aliens and they're pushed to the brink and they're forced to try and defend the enterprise. And of course, successfully. So I really appreciated this. The thing that really stood out to me was that we ha I, I feel like we haven't really done this much in Star Trek. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it was unique to not go the route of trying to give us the alien's point of view uh, right. and try to explain their behavior and try to rationalize it in some way. And I think w- w- that it, it really also kind of helps us get to the place where we got with Archer, right? Like this episode is is more about him kind of coming to some realizations 
Um, and so the truly alien nature of this race in the fit, the threat that the Enterprise faces were the perfect impetus for that to be able to happen. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking back, like, when have we seen this type of thing in Star Trek before? And only a few episodes come to mind. Schisms was the one that first popped into my mind from the next generation where, I mean, we kind of, I guess we can guess why these aliens are doing the experiments on the crew, but it isn't really explained as a you know they remain sort of shadowy Mm -hmm. figures in the episode right there's the empath from the original series and i was thinking about something like the devil in the dark on the original series but even there it's pretty clear why the horda are doing what they're doing you know trying to protect their young right it's it's quite clear and that's also a, a human motivation to protect your young right but here yeah it is just kind of mysterious and Andre Bormanis, who is a science advisor, said that was his favorite part of this episode. And I agree with him because I think it's appropriate sometimes to show that that everything cannot be framed in terms of human mm-hmm. thought and intention. Yes. Yep. And I also think that it works well in the first season of, of Enterprise because as we keep talking about here, Humans setting out into deep space for the first time and encountering unexpected things, unexpected situations. This episode opens with Archer thinking he's going to just talk to them like he has to everyone else so far. And that doesn't work. And I think that that is very much what would what we would experience as humans going out into space. In fact, that's what we'd experience most of the time because we wouldn't be able to communicate. So the question, though, is I gave a couple of examples of episodes where we've seen something somewhat similar. But if you really wanted to write this type of story for the next generation, DS9, Voyager, Discovery, you know, moving forward on the timeline, do you think this would work? Or at that point, are the experiences of the crew too well developed for them to have the same reaction, I guess I would say, to what's happening to them? I do think that this is, and that's a, I think this is a great question to ask. You know, obviously with Enterprise, they are trying to do different things and think of stories that you couldn't just do for any Star Trek series. Now, I do think you could do this for any series, right? You could find a way to make it work. But I think mm-hmm. it works best here, you know, as a story yeah. because of the fact that they are so wet behind the ears when it comes to space and being out in space and running into alien species and not necessarily being prepared for what comes with that. And especially with the aliens who mean us harm. That's something that's completely kind of unexpected for for Archer and the crew. And, and their experience has shown them that, yeah, not everybody here is is here to come say hi and have some pan-fried catfish with you, you know? So. Right, right. <laughs> well, and saying that Mina's harm is interesting, too, because even that is framed differently. Normally in Star Trek, if an alien race means us harm, they have some intent against us. Not it's not just completely random. I get the right. impression here that it's just completely random. These aliens probably act this way to everyone they encounter, 
But what's also interesting is they may be acting this way through thought that we can't understand. Like, we look at them as, oh, they want to take over our ship and they want to kill us. But to them, they may not view us that way at all. This may be some other thing that they do and we just mm-hmm. happen to be in the way. Right. And the only indication we have with the, of, of you know who they are and what they want is the message they kind of chop up and replay back, which, you know, seems pretty ominous. And that's really that and the fact that, you know, their mind probing of, of members of the crew mm-hmm. almost permanently damages them. So, I mean, those two things right. you put together and you're like, okay, well, I guess these guys do mean us some kind of harm. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, like you said, we don't understand their thought process. We can only see it from our perspective. And I think that does make it an interesting story to try and deal with the ramifications then of that. Right. And there's something to Paul says in this episode that ties in perfectly to that. And also, when I heard her say it, my first thought was, that's something T'Pol needs to tell Star Trek fans today who analyze Star Trek, whether in writing or on podcasts or wherever, and they look at everything through 21st century eyes, 2021 eyes, and they apply their own views to things that were written 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and interpret them, misinterpret the intention of the story, mm-hmm. uh, which happened actually, of course, in the Babel Conference in some responses to our discussion of Unexpected, where the whole assault discussion, which was very much applying mm-hmm. sure. a, um, human interactions to an alien species. What T'Pol said was, well, Archer said, why fly right up to us and just give us the silent treatment? Because he was expecting them to react the way that Everyone had reacted up until then. And T'Pol said, I wouldn't take offense. Not every species has motives that can be understood in human terms. And I thought, wow, that is a fantastic line in this script. Because it's one of the points of science fiction. And it's one of the points of Star Trek. And it's one of the points that today feels like it's really lost on a large portion of the fan base as they watch these episodes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. You know, I I think one of the things that happens too, and I've become more and more convinced of this as well, is that we have become such a, a people that are so intent on our own reading of things that we mm-hmm. completely forget about authorial intent, which is really, to me personally, one of the best ways to read things because it's not just about what it means to me personally or what I think it means. It's what what was the person who wrote this? What are they? What were they trying to say? Right. You know, and, exactly. And, yeah. And kind of then understanding of the world that they come from and all of those things will actually make it make more sense as to what it was actually trying to say instead of trying to put myself in those shoes and just say, well, what do I think it means? I think that's something that's really been lost in an analysis. And I think it's, it's again, like T'Pol says there, their thought process may com- be completely alien to our own, and therefore we may never truly understand them. Right. So, 
thankfully, you know, when it comes to analysis of Star Trek episodes, we know the writers, we know where they come from. We know the, the cultures that they were immersed in when the episodes were written. And we should then be able to put ourselves in, in those places and try to understand where they were coming from. Um, and I think, too, one of the things I do love about this is that Archer gives these people the most generous reading until they prove themselves to be ungenerous, right? Like, That's his immediate point, yeah. response is not to jump down their throats and, like, fire all cannons, right? He yeah. he gives them the benefit of the doubt and a generous reading, and I think that's obviously another place where our culture is completely insane in that point, that we always yeah. jump to the worst yeah. uh, mind association that we can think of when somebody says something instead of trying to yeah. give them the most generous reading. And so uh, I think this is one of those places, again, too, you know, we, are, we as we're talking about this, you're really coming to the fact that Archer's realizing the ramifications of what it means for him to be out here, his crew to be out here, and a possible mistake that he maybe made, which was, did he make the mistake of rushing people out into space when they weren't truly ready, or was it like Tripp said that everybody here would willingly take the risk, and if we 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 needed to go then, you know, right? Like I think it's really nice to see Archer have this moment of self reflection because he truly is asking himself some very tough questions, and I think. It is Tripp's response, which is really beautiful, which is the th- the thing that we've talked about that so far Enterprise has been about, which is, no, it is about risk. And if yeah. everyone is willing to take the risk, then and we should be willing to take the risk because all of life is risk, right? So mm-hmm. we, we should be willing to step out our doors and see what the world has for us today. And I, I thought that that was the best part of the episode. We should go on an adventure. It got, exactly. You know, it, <laughs> it, it is very much, though, like, because it, it, it does come back to that whole idea of Bilbo Baggins wanting to stay at yeah. home and, and stay in his comfort. And the spark of adventure comes on him, and he goes on a great adventure. And very much the same way that these characters are on this adventure now. And it's mm-hmm. a dangerous road that they're on, but... It's an exciting one, and it's one worth taking because it's also doing good for humanity and expanding our horizons, expanding our understanding of the universe, and expanding our understanding of ourselves. And yet, yeah. can't happen on your couch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from an outside reading, I would say that, yeah, probably Archer did rush the ship off before it was ready because... Mm-hmm. He was impatient. He wanted to get out there. But there are other factors that were involved, one of them being that the incident in Broken Bow provided the perfect opportunity for humans to circumvent the Vulcans and just go and just do it. And so he seized that opportunity. And that's another part of the message, too, is that when an opportunity comes along, sometimes even if you think that maybe it's not the right time Mm -hmm. or if you are worried about how it might turn out. Sometimes you have to just take the opportunity right. and make adjustments along the way. One thing I want to add, because I think what you said was so important that I just wanted to highlight it, which mm-hmm. was opportunity is never going to be perfect. Right. Right. You know, like that just doesn't happen. 
you know, it's never the opportune time to have a kid. It's never the opportune time to switch jobs. It's never the opportunity. Like those things just don't happen. And again, that's where the risk comes in. And and I think that's the thing that Trip tries to help Archer understand, which is it's, you know, look, buddy, I love and I love their relationship here in the episode. I love that it shows their closeness. But I think he he's trying to help Archer realize that you may have done some of those things. But like you said, there were other factors involved. And, and the reason we did what we did and a guy is still alive because of it. Right. So there there are a lot of different factors that go into things and nothing's ever going to be perfect. And so that's where we have to make that cost benefit analysis. But in the end, right. you know, it, it's much better usually to take the action rather than just, you know, sitting around waiting for the perfect yeah. moment as if that exists. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And now I just pictured a future Star Trek series, Star Trek CBA cost benefit analysis. <laughs> it's like one of the most boring Star Trek series ever. It's going to be on CNBC. And mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> I can see it now. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So another part of the next part of Archer's realization in this episode is that what Malcolm has been telling the crew since pretty much the beginning is true. They're not prepared to protect themselves against the threats they may encounter in deep space. And Archer has slowly come around to this and now it's clear to him like we're not we're not ready we need to equip the phase cannons we need to get the ship ready to protect us from aliens like these that we've encountered here because it's probably going to happen again and there's not a lot of discussion to have on that but what i was thinking about was that this is the point where starfleet becomes a military organization while it's also a scientific organization. So we get that hybrid scientific exploratory organization and military organization, which is often a topic of debate among Star Trek fans, which one is Starfleet. Mm -hmm. And it's usually presented as being like a binary. They're either explorers or they're soldiers. Where my reading has always been that they're both, and right. they have to be both, because if you're out in deep space, the environment is just completely different than Earth. Mm-hmm. You can't have separate organizations like this. You've got to be able to do it all. But do you have any thoughts on this being a turning point very early in the life of Starfleet? I think what it does is it helps them to be able to see that they are ill-equipped at this moment to protect themselves. And that, you know, and one of the things that made this an interesting conversation is is that Archer asked Paul about this and that the Vulcans run into so many people, uh, like, uh, you know, trying to kill them, basically, yeah. um, when they went out to space. And she, she reminds the captain that, you know, when we went out to space, there were much uh, less warp-capable species. And so it was easier for the Vulcans. And of course, they were able to establish themselves and then kind of grow with the 
races that uh and 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 it's the same type of like i don't want to say arms race but right you would have mm-hmm. you been growing at the same level and i think mm-hmm. that's something that you know humanity at the point that they're at and because the vulcans refuse to kind of give them any kind of advantage they are at a disadvantage when it comes to a lot of other species that they're running into that have different types of particle weapons. They have uh, shielding that like the Enterprise doesn't have and those kind of things. And so I do think that Malcolm has been right the whole time is that, you know, as, as I guess Teddy Roosevelt would say, speak softly and carry a big stick. Mm-hmm. At Starfleet, that's what Starfleet always does. They it from now on is that they will, they're always coming in peace. But as Archer mentions here to the aliens, we'll defend Enterprise with everything that we have, and yeah. so and ourselves, right? You know, we're not he, out here to make enemies, but if you want to make an enemy of us, I mean, we're we're gonna put up a fight. So, yeah, uh, I I think it's it again. It's a really good and interesting episode in the way that it's dealing with a lot of these issues and and it you know it's one of the things where i think it's it's a real um disappointment to me that most people only see this as the episode or remember this as the episode where we're wondering about pineapple when really this Mm -hmm. episode is about what we just talked what we've been talking about for like the last 20 minutes of all these really important issues that these these characters are dealing with um and the ramifications of what they mean because i mean they have no idea if this is going to be a precursor to maybe an attack on earth i mean they destroyed mm-hmm. both of the uh subspace beacons that we had put out there right. so i mean this yeah. is this is a, a, again this is a kind of a ter- when you think about what has happened to the enterprise in this episode it's pretty terrifying well, it definitely would be if you were out there on the ship right for sure and there's no backup like you know, they yeah, even try right. to call the Vulcans and they can't get a hold of them because, you know, again, the subspace beacons have been uh, destroyed. So it's like this is the, I mean, you are out there on your own and having to do everything by yourselves. And and I think this is also one of those places where, you know, as we're moving towards Malcolm's realization, we're also seeing this crew really realize what they can do together. You know, so mm-hmm. there, there's some really good benefits to what happens because I think this galvanizes the crew to be mm-hmm. more together, willing to work very, very hard and see that they can overcome difficulties thrown at them that nobody in humanity has ever faced. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In terms of being scientific or military yeah, you have to you have to be able to protect yourself. And so they needed an incident like this to really drive that home. And the Federation probably would have never formed if they didn't learn early on that they have to to bear arms when necessary. Which is an interesting point too. The original title of this episode was Call to Arms which was a DS9 episode, and so they changed the title. And I'm glad they did, because Silent Enemy makes a lot more sense for this story than Call to Arms, which feels quite generic. Well, and Silent Enemy is a cool name for this episode, too, because it also reminds me of, like, the submarine type of Uh, movies, you know, with the U-boats and all those kind of things for World War II, which this feels very much like. So I think it's, uh, it's a... 
as we talked about them having movie night, you know, last week, I think this is kind of a perfect callback to just where we're pulling from for these enterprise stories. Right. Now, that just made me think because my background on the video here today is a shot of the two aliens going down a corridor on the Enterprise. Now that you mentioned the submarine, I'm just picturing, I want to Photoshop Aquaman popping in here to this <laughs> and <laughs> tearing his way through the awesome. one. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. You know, to Paul's comment about there were fewer warp-capable species at the time, and it was a different time, reminds me of, it's one of my favorite short stories by David Brin called The Crystal Spheres. And it's a story about the Fermi paradox and why we don't find other life out in space. But spoiler alert, what we find out at the end of the story is that we're one of the earliest species. So we're we're early on the timeline of what would become a galactic civilization. And that idea I always found interesting because we always talk about how when we meet other aliens, Mm -hmm. I say other aliens because we would be aliens to them. When we meet them, they're obviously going to be millions of years ahead of us. They're going to be so advanced. And we never Mm -hmm. think about the fact that we could be the elders. We could be the ones who are among the first. And that that civilization that spans the galaxy will come later. So her, her comment made me think of that. All right. Well, as we get ready to wrap up here, you know, I love to talk about this reference book called the Beyond the Final Frontier because I just, I just find their take on stuff interesting. And I wanted to know what you thought about their comment about this one. They said, when you hear Archer say he doesn't really know Reed, it's almost impossible not to hear the writers sitting around a table saying the same thing. We find out a bit more about the tactical officer in this episode, which is unremarkable, but watchable. So I'm kind of mixed on that. But I think the assumption that the writers don't know anything about the character that they're writing, I think, is a bit arrogant because, you know, we're only, what, 11, 12 episodes in here. And so, of course, they're not going to have revealed everything. And all characters develop along the way. Writers have a good setup for a character, and then it evolves largely based on how the actor portrays the character. But also to say that this is unremarkable, yeah, maybe. You know, not a lot happens in this episode. Well, I mean, and and that's where I would completely disagree with them. I, I think that that is a part of the episode, but they didn't deal with any of the other thematic elements or character moments or character realizations that we talked about throughout what we just went through in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the the basest it's it's like were you even watching the episode well it's a superficial analysis if there ever was one right which is what we tend to get from this yeah and so it it just you know i I just disregard that as is complete uh silliness because again you know if that's what you're pulling from the episode i think you're missing the point of the episode because there's so much more to this episode and and it's one that you know for me coming back to and rewatching, I was actually struck by how much happens in this episode for a lot of the characters. Right. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with learning about pineapple. You know, I mean, we learn a right. lot about Malcolm in this episode, which is 
looked at. I, I think he really cares about his crew. He's dedicated to making sure that the enterprise is safe. He doesn't, he's humble in the sense that he's not thinking about himself all the time. If, if at all, maybe he's a little too humble. Um, yeah, and so. that he is pretty ingenious in the sense that he comes up with a solution to uh, find them a way to increase the power and to do this more quickly that even Trip hadn't necessarily thought of uh, and takes Trip a moment to take a step back and say, okay, you know, I, I think we can do that. You know, so I think there's a lot we learn about this character here and it's it's all good stuff. It, I mean, it's all good little small character motivations that continue on and, and, and that goes all the way to the fact that we kind of, you know, see what makes him truly his character when you see his parents. So all that together, I think this episode is, is an unqualified success. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that one of the problems with this episode in terms of perception is that if you just watch it on a superficial level, the whole mission to find out Malcolm's favorite food kind of overshadows the other stuff sure. that's happening in the episode. Like it's, it's unusual for a Star Trek episode, and therefore it's the thing that sticks in your head afterwards. And then this narrative, fan narrative, takes hold over the years. We have this with a lot of episodes where it becomes, it's like Spock's brain. Yep. You know, it's popular to say, oh, Spock's brain is the worst episode ever. Or Threshold, they think, oh, Threshold, so stupid because there are lizard babies at the end. It's like, well, no, actually there are some interesting things in Threshold and Robbie McNeil's performance is fantastic. These are things that you should also take away from the episode. So this narrative takes hold. And I think the narrative for this episode that has taken hold is that Hoshi spends her time trying to find some food for Malcolm and then people forget what the episode is really about. So yeah, I think there is a lot here. So what rating would you give this episode? Yeah, I mean, this might surprise people, uh, but I was thinking about this uh, after I finished rewatching the episode, and I I would give this, I believe, a four out of five. Um, I really liked this episode, uh, and I was actually struck by how much there was to glean from the episode about so many of the characters here and and their interpersonal relationships together that I I didn't get before. And and honestly, the moment where you know Hoshi accidentally asks Reed out was really funny and is very true to life because, you know, those type of things happen all the time, uh, especially in the workplace. Like, that's where right. it was almost like a workplace comedy at that moment. And yet they kind of <laughs> nailed yeah. the misunderstandings that can kind of happen in those environments. So, yeah, I, I give this four out of five. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I'm going to give it seven grumpy dads and a plate of halibut. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, we would love to hear your ratings and your thoughts on Silent Enemy as well. If you'd like to share those with us, there are many ways for you to do that. The best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That's our private listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. But if you're not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field and it should come up. If not, type the whole name. 
It is a closed group, so if you're joining for the first time, you'll be asked some questions and you need to agree to the rules of the forum. Please do all of that so that I can let you in so I know that you're a listener and not just someone who's wandered into the group because that's how we keep it a great place for everyone to discuss what we're talking about on our podcasts. You can also send us email if you'd like. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact and use the form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5 and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us in social media on Twitter. Our username is trekfm, same for Instagram and pretty much everywhere. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. So Matthew, when you're not, you know, overcoming workplace misunderstandings, where can people find you? Well, uh, you could find me on Twitter and Instagram, Letterboxd, all those type of places under the name MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network on the 602 Club, which is our whole other side of the network where we talk about all things beyond Star Trek because there's just so much we want to cover. And, of course, you can find me um, in that uh, feed with Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cups. Those are two bonus shows that we do there as well. And then doing... Literary Treks, uh, as well as The Orb. Chris, you and I talked Star Trek Deep Space Nine together on The Orb. And then Literary Treks is all about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which have been having a great time uh, as we have uh, been talking about the CODA series with the authors there and so much more. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, and then on the Nerd Party Network, I do uh, a few different shows. One is called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we're talking Star Wars each and every week. And then I have a Finnish show called Owl Post. I did that with Drea Kaufman, and it's a Harry Potter show where we talked about every single chapter of that series, one chapter at a time. Now, Chris, uh, when you're not uh, trying to figure out when you can get your next piece of pineapple cake, where can people find you? Well, I'm browsing all the cakes in the catalog because Christmas season has already kicked in here in Japan, and Christmas cake is a big thing. So I don't know if I can get a pineapple one, but I'm sure I can find one that Malcolm will like. And when I'm not doing that, of course, I am doing some other podcasting. Larry Nemechek and I just released a new episode of The Ready Room last week, where we talk about the first two seasons of Lower Decks in broad strokes. And of course, you mentioned the Warbin Literary Treks. And also there's Interphase, which is a Star Trek Universe podcast. You can hear me on those other podcasts, as well as many things in the back catalog. And then you can find me on social media. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere. And I'd love to talk Star Trek or whatever with you on there. If you'd like to help us keep all of the shows in the network going, as well as to grow our plans for the network, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. It does cost a great deal of money to operate the network. If you'd like to find out how to help us and how to get involved, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trekfm. And we really thank everyone who is supporting us there. We really could not put these shows out without your help. So thank you very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm going to let you go. You've got one week to study up on your medical journals and suit up because we're going to be helping flocks solve a planet-wide plague next week in Dear Doctor. Chris, that sounds fascinating. Let's go. Recording. Recording. Malcolm's Mysterious Pants. (laughs) 
Malcolm's dad's happy pants. Oh, is that man ever happy? Between him and Hoshi's dad that we meet in Vanishing Point, like, man, you wonder these crew members have some really <laughs> special parents, weird yeah. parents. Yeah. <laughs> 